Back in episode 116, we started a little mini-series on translation versus localization, And today we're continuing that series uh, with a discussion of the different methods of translation and localization. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And we are continuing our, I don't know how many parts this is, two parts, three parts, four parts, five parts? I don't know, because I was thinking about doing, uh, as I was doing the notes for this, and I was like, actually, there's a lot more I could talk about, Mm. so maybe another one in the future, yeah. We are continuing our multi-part series on translation and localization. The first episode was back in episode 116. Uh, where we did a, an introduction to the to the concepts of translation yeah. and localization and sort of how they differ and a little bit of like the history and things like that. Um, and that was a lot longer than I expected too, because I kind of expected to cover most of what's in this episode in yes. that one. Yes. But it took quite a long time and there was a lot of content there. But I think it was good. I think it was good to set the groundwork for like yeah. what those things were, like you say. Exactly. Um, so if you, I mean, hopefully you have listened to that one uh, go back and listen to it now if you haven't. Um, but as a recap, we're talking about translation and localization really mainly with video games, although mm-hmm. this kind of thing can also apply to other media, especially anime and, and manga. Um, and we're talking about, as you can probably guess, mainly like Japanese to English um, translation and localization sometimes goes the other way as well, um, but not yeah, really sort just, of anything else. We discussed that in the previous episode a little bit more mm. in depth as well, how like translation between different languages and different cultures is very different so anything that we say about the translation and localization process here which is almost exclusively going to be japanese into english is almost certainly not going to be necessarily a valid Mm. comment or discussion point on say for example i think we did say for example japanese into arabic for example and we'll touch upon other european languages as well um at points because that's you know, sort of fairly closely related due to kind of, um, I guess, what would you call it? Like, um, like a common heritage, I guess. Well, also like the regions, right? Like if you think yeah. about like... Your PAL region, yeah. Yeah, like a lot of, you know, European stuff, you know, if something is being translated and being released in the UK, it's often, especially with Nintendo of Europe, it would be, it would almost have to be translated and released for yeah, other languages as well. Like in French, fact, Spanish, German, Italian, exactly. etc. In fact, that's one of the reasons why historically we would get games later than America yeah. because America, yeah, yeah. you could just translate it into English and then in Europe, you've got to do all the others as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Those poor French Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is mostly just like your own research, right? And like, you're going to, you, you mainly the one that's been doing the research and the, and mm-hmm. the thinking and, and has the, the wider experience with this um and i know that you've made use of uh, what's it legends of localization right there yeah it's a great website yeah. uh, it's just a really 
good in-depth website about people discussing mm. basically this exact topic mm. uh, in a lot more professional context than than we're going to in this instance. Yep. So uh, absolutely check that website out mm-hmm. if uh, if it interests you. And we've used some of their some of their articles as sort of like a jumping off point for our discussions as well. Mm. So uh, full credit. Yeah. So we'll put some links in the show notes and yeah, definitely go and check them out if you're interested in more of the stuff that we're talking about. So last time we talked about the history and things like that, but this time we want to sort of talk about actually how translation and localization goes about, right? Both sort of historically and also kind of now and like sort of different ways of how it works. And that'll help us sort of understand why it happens in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to for the most part, we're going to separate these two again between the translation and localization process because they aren't always the same thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're intermingled, sometimes they're not. As in we said last time, you don't always need to localize a game necessarily, or rather the localization is a very sort of soft approach, like just making sure your text fits in the buttons of whatever menu system you're changing the languages of, for example. Um, But with the translation process, the, the way in which it's done throughout the time period of game development history has changed quite significantly Mm. because traditionally games would be built with one language in mind then translated later right like they would be made by a company in america and it would be made in english right and there was no they would maybe have no translation teams there'd be no thought about it you know potentially publishers also are only working in one region you know they're not necessarily you know you haven't got loads of international publishers and publishing in loads of countries was way harder when you oh yeah you know you got no online distribution you know now those barriers are you know those borders are kind of gone and so a lot of this is more free but but back in time you know you you wouldn't just be able to just magically sell in another country because that would be a logistical you know even before you've translated the game it's like a big deal and that then comes into something else with do with localization in the way in which those products would then be used anyway mm-hmm. but we'll get to that we'll mm-hmm. get to that so typically these these games would be made in one language so for example like you said english or if it's cases like japanese they'd be made in japanese specifically oftentimes with no intention to have anything else and then if those games were to be translated they would often be translated well after the fact so the game would be made it would be fully completed and oftentimes just a, sim- a completely separate unattached team would then get access to that game's code and then they would have to go in and just translate everything kind of post-creation. Mm-hmm. And this would be very difficult sometimes because you can't necessarily change certain things. Like, I think one of the famous ones was, I think we discussed it the other day actually, was with the original Pokemon in that it was made in Japanese, but then trying to turn it into English was basically impossible without breaking the game. Right. So it had to be kind of recoded from the ground up effectively to work in English. With with older consoles and and portable, you know, and handheld consoles, there were a lot of technical constraints, right? The Game Boy was colossally underpowered and, Mm. you know, was very low on things like memory and stuff like that. And if you think about games nowadays, especially if you're making something in a in a game engine and game engines didn't exist right there was no unity or you know unreal or anything like that those now will have you know if you want to put some text on the screen you will have like a you know a tool that you will use and it will put text on the screen and it'll make sure that the text wraps at the right point and it'll fit in the space and you can choose the font size and things like that whereas if you think about something like pokemon or also i always remember links awakening um links awakening on the game boy like the text 
there's so little space and it's pixel mm. you know it's pixels of text and if you mm -hmm. think about japanese japanese is pictograph based so you need a lot less space to convey you know potentially to convey certain things yeah. in, in some situations not in all situations because also the resolution was so low I mean, you can't fit <laughs> yeah. kanji you know every kanji character on the you know in the space but nonetheless like translating to other languages you know if you have got okay the game is programmed to have like three pages of text for this particular dialogue but now you're translating it and you might not even be able to fit the word in the like yeah. width of the space that you've got yeah. you know and you've got to like actually fix all of that up you know not just on the game boy but on other you know home consoles as well you know and there wouldn't be any thought to no you know there was no engine so there was no sort of like okay well we'll make sure all of this text is stored somewhere else so that we can easily swap it out because there was no space to do that you had to massively well, that's optimize the thing as well games. isn't it yeah like genuinely the text itself takes some memory bytes only bytes of memory but at that point when you only had like four kilobytes of memory to right. work with right, right, every, right every bit matters exactly exactly you know so it'd be a so big you, deal a big deal it would and and you can now try to imagine sort of like you know uh, a, a very small group probably no more than like two or three people being asked to translate a game between japanese to english you know and maybe they've got some experience with like you know translating before that's fine but they're basically being asked to code a game at yeah, the same right. time. Right, exactly. Know? And, you know, and potentially, especially in those early days, again, there's so many optimizations were going on to, like, make these games work in the constraints of the, you know, of the of the hardware and the, the cartridge and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, those are going to be hard to understand when yeah. you're, like, looking at that that code that, you know, for a particular game, there's going to be all kinds of weird shit going on because it's, like mega optimized and you know all over the place so you're gonna have to you know and i'm sure that in some situations early on they probably didn't have great communication channels between you know the original team and oh, the people yeah, no, you know 100%. translating it and in some instances there would be zero communication right. like it would have been nintendo of japan made a game and then like two years later nintendo of europe go we need a game to release in christmas oh that looks good like that's how kind of what happened with final fantasy to some extent like the final fantasy games came out years after the fact right right, right you know right. they'd already made like another three people have been left yeah absolutely so it's very much a case of just figure it out and make it so that we can have this in english and sell and then this is how games have either terrible translation or they have bugs in the way in which that yes. translation is presented to so for example things like uh zelda 2 you know when you think like i am error or i am bug or something like that and, you, and it just because the game doesn't really understand what the program well no not the programmers but the game doesn't understand what the translators have actually asked it to do that actually wasn't a bug um oh, i can't remember okay. the story behind that in zelda 2 now but there's i can't remember what the deal is behind that message but it's actually not an error it's just a really weird translation yeah so, so you get the idea there, basically. Yes, yeah, but that's, yeah. a lot of that has changed. So that's, that's quite historically the mm, case, but yes. a lot of that has changed. And in most games now, even sort of smaller games that are maybe less intended for an international release straight away, they're not built this way now. Um, oftentimes, games will have scripts. If they've got a lot of text, like our RPGs will have full-on scripts rather than being baked into the game itself. Mm. So a translator can literally read through a script and edit that and then literally just feed it back into the game yes. and it will just sort of kind of work work its way out um you already mentioned it but for example things like ui elements are not baked in again either now so they will like auto wrap text auto re 
size, text, etc., etc. Yeah. And that can all be like tweaked and, and changed, but you don't need to go in and change a whole graphic anymore just to try and change yeah. it from like the Japanese for yes to the English to yes. Right, you know? right. And as well, like more modern coding languages are, I think predominantly written in English, regardless of, of language now anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they're all sort of much more universally understood. Uh, notes taken are very sort of like um, meticulously added now most of the time. So basically the whole process has been simplified for, for people. The, the, the games themselves are bigger, so it's still more challenging to accomplish because they're just simply bigger and there's more of it but the process is a lot simpler and straightforward now. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, even larger, you know, high budget games, games where there's a big plan to, you know, launch in multiple regions and things like that, then they will like start with that in mind, right? More, yeah. more than maybe, I would imagine that quite a lot of games now are, are built with multi, you know, like, you know, multiple languages in mind, but, yeah. you know, additionally, maybe not, you know, small indie games might not, you know have, have sort of incorporated it from the word go but you definitely now you know it'll be like okay we're releasing this game worldwide so we need to support you know multiple languages from the word go we're going to make sure we've got the capacity to do that with things like voices and the text and mm. even maybe music and all of those kinds of things you know ready to go so that you know everything has been worked out in a in a language agnostic way um you do this sometimes with websites as well like speaking from my own experience like if you're building a website where you know it's going to be, you know, translated and it's going to be used in multiple languages, you will build it slightly differently than if you know you're just going to be jamming English into it. And you'll prepare in advance and make sure that you've, know, you know, you've you've thought about it and you've gone, okay, well, let's test everything with generic text and, mm -hmm. you know, different things that we wouldn't normally test with because we know that, you know, there's going to be different things in here. There's going to be, you know, languages with different characters in and, yeah. you know, all of that kind of thing. Let's make sure that all of that is there and ready to go, even if we're only coding it and working on it in english um you know you would you would sort of do a lot of that in advance and think about it as you're going through the game development and that's just important now for large companies because most of the time they can't make these games for one market and make enough money back anymore mm -hmm. like they need to be global to be able to make profit so it's it's kind of a win-win situation since the more people get to play more games for varying origins yeah. whilst also making it simpler and easier to get that accomplished yeah. and making more money along the way and of course the the barrier to releasing as we said in multiple regions is lower so that is a more attractive you know proposition it's a lower hanging piece of fruit nowadays to be like oh well we should make sure that we can incorporate the ability to have the game translated because it's relatively straightforward for us to you know sell this in multiple regions or, or yeah. you know by distributing it on steam or whatever <laughs> Yeah. And thankfully, that is becoming more and more the case. And one of the things I put here is like, could this go a step further with multilingual development? But like, in a way, it kind of already does. Mm. Like, there are some exceptions to that with very text heavy games. I'm thinking sort of like your, your 60 to 100 long hour JRPGs right, that like, right. do genuinely need a full on translation team. And rather than just simply translating, say, UI and menus and stuff like that. Right. But even then, like, I wouldn't see it being that difficult to have that done at the same time so mm. the games can be released like concurrently in multiple regions with multiple languages. 
Um, because assumedly things like the scripts of big games like that are done out in advance of the game being finished in terms of gameplay and creation. So yeah, I guess it probably comes down to logistics with such a large game of sort of like yeah. getting all the voice actors in to do all the voice acting. And, and that, you know. yeah, if you, if that's the point. I, had, I wasn't even thinking about voice acting there, to be honest with you. But yes, you're right. I was thinking just about like text, but you, you're very right. Like the voice acting element of things does add a lot of extra complexity to that yeah. and we'll, we'll talk about voice acting in a bit as well because that's something that i think is also very interesting and important mm. if done correctly or incorrectly <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that uh we want to talk about as well is not just translation but it's also localization mm. too because they aren't the same thing go back and listen to the previous episode for the definitions <laughs> um but typically speaking a lot of these products as we already mentioned never really were intended for release outside of the native culture in which they were created within so again the example being like japanese games were never really intended to be released in america or europe and as a result a lot of times what would happen is that the the very first form of localization that a lot of these products would see with some small exceptions things like your big games like your zeldas your final Mm -hmm. fantasies etc would just be bastardization yeah so the idea of taking a product and turning it into something else entirely for another market so a really great example that almost everyone will know would be power rangers yes right because power rangers as we know it so in the west is sort of like the, the the five or six high school american kids you know going around and they get like magic powers to be able to like transform into like these people who can fight really well and like megazord and all the rest of it right you you know it but none of that is actually anything to do with the original concept of the japanese tv show of super sentai um you know there's a similar sort of vibe going on there but they've just taken in some cases they've taken several japanese tv shows Mm. about like you know martial art like you know masked figures like masked people shoved it all together and then like done a relatively low budget like high school drama on top of it to connect all the dots and that's it it's crazy you know? how uh, successful that was <laughs> in that in that it, instance. it's because it was just so cheap yeah, yeah it was it was insanely cheap it's like japanese companies like yeah we don't care like you can have it yeah what do you want like 10 grand yeah sure that'll do and then they've got the full rights to their like works in America at this point. Mm. And then they can do whatever they want. And like you say, it just ran away with itself. Um, and when they are doing these sorts of things, like Power Rangers is the, is the example we're using, but there's loads of instances. There's games fall into this plenty of times, you know. Uh, I mean, for example, like it's a little bit of a less clear cut example, but things think of things like um, Super Mario 2. You know, yes. when they localized that, but made it so that it was uh, Doki Doki Panic. Yes. You know, instead, things like that. When they're, when they're localizing these, they don't really have much intentional consideration to remain faithful to the product in any particular way. And in some instances, they actually outwardly discourage it because they want to try and sort of disconnect it from the original, in this case, Japanese content as much as possible. I think to some extent as well, there was a lot of sort of, you know, the world was less global. And to some extent, there's, there was a concern, probably valid, that, you know, these things weren't going to appeal right to american Mm -hmm. audiences or to western audiences and so a lot of the sort of bastardization is also kind of like the powers that be being like we can't take this as is because people aren't going to like it and to some extent they were probably right you know nowadays there's a lot more sort of interest in in things being original but back then People didn't even know that these things, like no one knew that Power Rangers was, you know, based on a Japanese or very few people, I guess, knew that it was based on a Japanese show and, you know, was just like turned into something completely different so that it it 
appealed or it or it was what people thought would appeal to an American and a Western audience. So, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to consider the fact that that product now is being used in a very different way. Right. But even when these products are being released internationally for the intention of themselves, like you are releasing this product as it is to another market, mm. but it still needs to be localized. Oftentimes this is done very end of production. Right. Like, as we mentioned with translation sort of things, it's often fin- completely finished, completely done. Not really much consideration was is taken for the release of an international version of this game. And then again, another team will have to come in at the end, oftentimes completely detached, oftentimes the same poor bloody team that has to do the translation yeah. <laughs> and all the other things we talked about earlier. And also now try to localize it into whatever region it's going into Mm. um which i can imagine must have been such a headache to try and do yeah yeah and it's interesting as well because if you think about this this is where you know this sort of like doing it at the end means that you end up with lots of situations where you know a game that's made in japan has got a lot of references to japanese culture right we talked Mm -hmm. about this before and now you've got that interwoven into this game and you've got to try and unpick it um as you localize it somewhere else you know that potentially you know at a high level you might be like yeah this game's fine it's fine to be localized like it's a you know whatever it's an rpg or it's an action game or something and it's in japanese and it's like yeah the premise is fine like it's not too you know what we think it'll appeal like the broad concept the characters or whatever blah 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 and then you get into the weeds of it and it's like oh man there's like so many random things all over the place here that are like referencing you know little bits and pieces because the people who made it are you know are from they're that human, culture and they're you know from and they're culture, incorporating yeah, yeah. things to do with that they're not going and to that, be thinking about everyone else's cultures because they don't no, know them <laughs> like no. no one know you know people a team of people working on a pro on a project don't know all the other you know random cultures and, and customs and that can be something kind of really simple and innocuous like for example the way in which like someone would talk to someone in a given situation mm. But it could also be something that maybe would almost be seen as offensive. Like right. In some nations, the way in which someone is portrayed would be quite offensive. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, like the the most ham-fisted ones, I think, of all these were Nintendo of America's sort of approach to religious iconography. Yes. Yeah. Like, even if there was a, just a cross of any kind, doesn't matter what it was there for, yeah. no, not having that there anymore sort of thing, yeah. you know, everything would have to have been taken out. And I can imagine the headache it must have been in some of those games to try and do that. Yeah. Um, but that's what they wanted. And because these games weren't created with that in mind to begin with, that's what had to be done if that game wanted to meet the standard of the people releasing it. Mm. And oftentimes the people releasing it in the West were the ones who were ponying up the cash to be able to do this in the first place. So they got what they wanted effectively. Yeah. One other thing as well that I think is interesting to talk about is that when often these games are localized, they're done by these individual kind of companies, oftentimes only somewhat attached to the original company. Right, right. But there will often be very different companies or different groups of people from every region which he's doing it for. And as a result, you get a very uneven experience between all the different versions. So sometimes you get like, even within the same region, for example, within Europe, where certain versions of a game are just higher or lower quality than others. Mm. Um, The one that again stood out to me, we've already mentioned it once, but for a different reason, is the Spanish version of Pokemon, the early Pokemon Mm. games. Well, like notoriously bad translation and like the way in which it was localized just didn't really make any sense in some instances. Yeah. Uh, just because I guess be- the people that they hired didn't necessarily know what they were doing or the- they maybe got like a little bit misinformed with how to do it, etc. So it- all these things lead into these really awkward complications to try and figure out. Mm. Yes. 
this does feel like a lot of the games that we've been talking about, right, have been a lot of earlier games, you know, earlier on in, in sort of video game history, you know, we're talking about things like the original Zelda or yeah, like you said, like the sort of early Pokemon games being translated badly into Spanish. It does feel like this is less of an issue now, right? Like less, this is less of a challenge. We doesn't feel like we get quite so many. I mean, there's certainly fewer technical challenges um, and it sort of feels like generally speaking, it's not as hard and the quality seems to be higher. Yeah, and I think a large part of that is just because, similarly to the translation things, game developers now know that they need to release these games almost always internationally in the first Mm. place. So a lot of them will be developed with that in mind. And although it's not going to be perfect, as you said, the people making these games don't live within other cultures. So even something they think is completely innocuous and unimportant may end up being either confusing or offensive or something Mm. to another group of people. But it's because it's taken into account more. It's also like identified earlier. So Mm. you'll have like your QA will have QA areas from different regions as well. And they'll go, ah, this won't work in this region. Yeah. So then it can be changed, you know, during development process, which is the best time to do these kind of things, you know, when, when the game is still in its most malleable form. Exactly, exactly. And I think the other thing as well, and we've touched upon this already, is that because there is, you know, the Power Rangers is a great example where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit, but I've definitely heard other stories where it's sort of like, you know, we can't take this and just put it in the West because it won't appeal to, to Western audiences. Now there is such a, there is such an interest for cultures and, and, and things to be kind of as is for certain sort of areas of, of video games. For example, you know, sort of very traditional jrpgs that are very Mm. like steeped in japanese culture people and 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 you know the best place is just anime as a whole right people want it like as it was people don't want it to be changed they want it to be faithful to the original because they understand the cultural references or they understand the cultural context and people feel that having someone mess around with that is sort of like, you know, it's like tweaking someone's art. You know, you've got a piece of mm. art and you're like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, smush it around a little bit because I think that people won't, you know, understand it. And it's like, that's not, you know, these things are considered, you know, much more, you want to appreciate them as is. So that is also part of it, right? You now have games where, you know, you actually keep the keep the localization to a minimum and you translate it as faithfully as possible because that's yeah. what people want. And and traditionally, this wouldn't have been done because it was just too big a gamble, right? Yeah, exactly. Most large companies would go, well, of course, the average American kid, yeah. you know, isn't going to want to try and figure out, like, you know, what, I don't know, New Year's Festival is like in, in right. Japan, right, right? Right, right, But as time has gone on, it's almost now the other way around in that, like, some companies intentionally make them more kind of, like, colloquially Japanese yes. because they know that they appeal to that very sort of like dedicated, like the quote unquote otaku audience, Mm. which is probably going to bring them in more money to target than if they targeted a broader, more generic audience in the first place. It's interesting because we're talking about this as sort of something that is, you know, quite common now, but actually, you know, it makes me think of um, Operation Rainfall right back in in Mm. 2011, um, where, you know, there were a bunch of games for the Wii. There was Xenoblade, Last Story, Pandora's Tower that weren't going to be brought over. You know, they were critically acclaimed. You know, these were very, very popular yeah. games in, in Japan, like like hugely successful, very big, you know, very hyped, massive releases that just weren't going to be released um, yeah. in, in, in the US and or Europe. And yeah. 
Nintendo just had no interest whatsoever in putting the the money up front to get those translates yeah, in the first place. They're like, it won't sell. Yeah, because it, it would have been a is seen as a gamble and probably quite realistically seen as a gamble. Mm. You know, it to be honest, it's a little in my mind sort of taking a step back from it it's a little bit it feels a little bit chicken and egg i would argue that it probably would have been a gamble if there hadn't been loads of hype and you know sort of drumming up interest of operation rainfall which was covered so much in the media and these games were you know really pushed in front of people a lot by a community of people like that's what made it not a gamble otherwise to be honest if they had just gone out and translated these and released them it probably would have flopped and it wouldn't have been successful so i think they'd have just been more games that people just did they were like oh okay yeah and wouldn't have have been so like this i do in in that case you know agree and i think that there are probably still plenty of cases like that where there are critically acclaimed you know niche games that don't get the backing of something like operation rainfall that end up not getting translated and and you know i think that is still a thing it's definitely less of a thing because of stuff Mm. like operation rainfall sort of showing that yes actually with enough marketing and enough you know focus on the west you can really make these games succeed Um, there are some examples of like they're doing that very well uh, because they've got like big series on their hands that they know are great games outside of the mm. Japanese appeal. I'm thinking things like Persona 5, for example, right? right? Yes. And that they haven't tried to localize that basically at all mm. because they know for a fact that the game is so good, that the game itself is so good that even if you've got zero interest in Japanese culture, chances are you're still going to enjoy playing this game and the reviews and the marketing that are around it are going to sell it on the gameplay and the 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 experience you'll have with it irrespective of the settings and the localization choices yeah but in most cases that's not the case like most companies don't have you know juggernaut style series like shin megami tensei yeah. slash persona games to work with you know but even then they're great examples too like they've had a very tumultuous history with with mm. localization and translation like mm. some games literally just do not leave japan yeah and some games when they do are brought out in a in a terrible state I, I can't remember which one it is and maybe we'll put it in the show notes because i just don't which one which one it is but one of the mega 10 games when i think it was for the super nintendo no, playstation original playstation was just changed so much. It was just like, it wasn't even the same product mm, anymore. Mm. Um, like all the names were changed. I think one of the characters was even changed to be black. Oh, yeah, like, I, feel like I, I feel like I remember when we've been doing like games of stuff, I feel like I've, there's a, there's another, there's a game that maybe it wasn't in that series, but there's definitely, I, there's something mm. like this has come up when we've been doing our like games of year stuff. Um, yes. where there was like a game that was just completely different um between, yeah. you know. they've just they've gone yeah we're making a different game out of this and then that goes back almost to that bastardization thing from earlier but it's with a product like that you, you wouldn't expect it from, from a shin megami tensei slash persona sort of like branding because it's everyone knows that now and everyone expects that very japanese experience with it but that wasn't always the case because they weren't always known and and popular you mm. know it was only later down the line that maybe the chicken and the egg situation occurred. You right. got a little bit lucky with the marketing, a little bit lucky with fan hype around again. Like I would guess it would have been like Shin Megami Tensei 3 or Persona 3, I think. I'm not the biggest Mega Ten head, if I'm honest with mm. you. And then traction is gained from there, isn't it? As more people go, oh, these, right. these really quirky Japanese games and they're really interesting. And then over time, the developers feel a little bit more... Not, no, not really the developers, but more the publishers, I suppose. Yeah. I feel a little bit more emboldened to try and keep things as they are 
localize them less do a a nicer cleaner job on translation you know knowing that it will still sell and make them money Uh, yeah i think there's definitely an aspect of you know virality virality to this you know in Mm. the sense that like these games are kind of like going viral and becoming popular through the internet usually um you know rather than sort of traditional traditional media um and i think that there's just been fortunate situations where they've been able to capitalize on that um but, you know, we've talked a lot here in the sort of reasonably abstract, right? We've talked about how does the translation process work, um, you know, and how has that changed over time? We've talked about the localization process and over time. Um, what we, I guess the next thing, which we don't have time for in this episode, but in a, in a, you know, we did say this would be multi-part, is sort of how this actually affects like some specific examples Mm. like what is actually like some specific stories of games that have gone through part of this process in some way and what's happened to it you know in a good way or in a bad way and that's probably i think is is going to be the at least part of the next episode we'll we'll see yeah i mean we'll we'll certainly pull the curtain back here already because the game that maybe wants to talk about all this begin with i think i mentioned already was Mm. xenoblade chronicles 2 because this does all of those things we've talked about in both good and bad all at the same time yes it's very interesting yes definitely. i wanted to talk about it this episode but i think there was a lot to cover here in regards to the process of translation Mm, and localization mm. and i think that was very interesting so i didn't want to try and shoehorn it in so i think it's going to get its own episode yeah maybe do it as the next one so there's not such a long um gap Gap between between them uh, them. but we're going to talk about three major things with how this game did something really good really mm, questionable and really weird (laughs) Um, and that's primarily the three things is his voice work the translation choices within its script and the overall localization of the game Mm. itself yeah because all those things follow the process we've just talked about and it's very interesting how Mm. they've done some things and what choices they've made And, and we've got some very kind of like good examples to use because the game itself you've played the game more than i have yes but so you can sort of have a very good insight into how you feel about the game etc so i think it's going to be a really good way of showcasing everything we've talked about in these previous two translation focused episodes and it's also interesting because xenoblade was the subject of operation rainfall Um, yeah so you know not not Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but the the original on the Wii. Yeah. Um, I say original, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know what you mean. And uh, so, yeah, so we're definitely um, really interested to talk about that, um, especially as it's a game that, I, that uh, you know, we have quite divided opinions on. So we're gonna, mm. it's going to be really interesting to talk through. But hopefully you found this interesting, um, this sort of continued dive into sort of understanding this. And, you know, you can look at games as they're, you know, that have been translated and think about all the stuff we've been talking about, about how it all works. And if you have any sort of questions or thoughts or anything that you think that we've missed about this process or any insight you want to give um well then that's what i was going to just about to say jump in there because if you are part of a localization or translation process you know i really want to hear if, well we really want to hear from you because i think talking about it from our point of view is all well and good from the research we do and our experiences but i mean i i think it'd be fascinating to talk to someone that does this i'd have to try and find you know? someone because yeah, no, sure, i imagine there's some really interesting tales to tell and 100%. some hoops to jump through and i imagine there's some very late nights I'm trying sure. to translate i'm sure you know? i'm sure um so yeah so get in touch with us let us know um you can send us an email show at octal.fm 
or come and find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash octalfm or Facebook, facebook.com forward slash octalfm. Every time I mention Facebook now, I always think about where we've talked about social media and, you know, decentralization and communication privacy and stuff like that. And I'm like... You did say, actually, in the last episode of Decentralized Communication that you were going to set up a home server. Oh, yeah, we should have a Matrix, Matrix server See? for octalfm. There you go. <laughs> See, that, that breaks down all translation and localization barriers yeah exactly you know anyone can talk to you on there yeah absolutely um <laughs> yeah let us know get in touch if you if you've like this you know don't forget also to give us a star and a review in whatever mm-hmm. you're listening in you know a little whatever sh- language you're in whatever language you're listening in um you know uh yeah definitely do that as well it's it helps us out a lot mm-hmm. and in the meantime i've been gelada and i've been Sephron. and catch us again for another episode of Oxl fm very soon The important one. Mustn't forget that one. Okay. Hello. Okay. Okay. We'll get there eventually.